Steven Duros, also known as Astro, is a guitarist, lighting technician for Toto, and a talented cartoonist. His approach to lighting for Toto is literally analog by today's standards, as his lighting methods include very little automation. He relies mainly on his astute sense of Toto's music in order to trigger lighting effects for the shows. If you've ever seen Toto live, you'll understand just how accurate and artistic his work can be. But Steven's talents go beyond the lights. He's also a brilliant guitarist with a focus on classical and flamenco. In fact, Stevens performed with the amazing Ottmar Liebert for several years and was even credited on Liebert's Grammy-nominated album, The Scent of Light. Here to discuss his many talents, including his cartooning, is Steven Astro Duros. Hey, Astro, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. Hey, great, Stephen. You know, uh, thanks for being with us. Um, you know, I first met you, and uh, and I believe it was along with uh, Ken Freeman on the balcony level at the at the Ryman Auditorium just recently, a few months back, you know, during one of the Toto gigs as you guys were beginning to wrap up your uh, Toto uh, U.S. tour. And, of course, Ken is um, Toto's touring uh, sound reinforcement guy. But you are the man when it comes uh, who brings a lot of energy into the show in the form of the lighting and lighting effects and so it was it was a great show i was really impressed with the sound and the lighting it was impeccable so um can you tell us from your vantage point uh how did the tour here in the states uh pan out how was it overall well thank you very much and uh first of all it's it's an honor to work with toto and uh it's just awesome to be up there uh in front of house with ken freeman he's an incredible sound engineer and uh him and i have such a great vibe mm-hmm. together uh, we both feel that, and uh, we almost feed off of each other with the excitement of the shows. You know, if we're both having a good show, we just feel like it's it's just contagious with one another. Um, well, you know, I felt that this U.S. tour was fantastic. Uh, we really uh, reached out and touched a whole bunch of great Toto fans out there, I think, mm-hmm. in such a great, positive way. Uh, there's so many memorable moments from the tour. Um, you know, New York especially was an incredible show, Nashville I mean, really, the list goes on. All the yeah. all the different cities, all the different fans, and people that you know, I think haven't seen the band in a while to you know to come through and uh, have the band perform at, at their very best as mm-hmm. always. I mean, you could just see it on the audience faces yeah. how excited they were, and just the band was having a great time. I just it was a great tour. Yeah, very cool. You know, as Rick mentioned a little earlier, you know, Stephen, um, you know, you, you, your nickname is a- Astro. And, uh, um, you know, that's how we first met. You said, hey, I'm Astro. And my question is, Luke didn't give you that nickname, did he? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's a long story. <laughs> is it really? Uh, Tell us, please. Yeah, a long time ago, gee, in 1999, uh, in Hollywood, uh, Toto had... Uh, played uh, Mark and Brian's show at the Key Club, okay. uh, and I had done lights for them then. That's when I first started, actually. Hmm. But uh, Dirk uh, was is their sound guy, on and off, and uh, he was full-time at the time. He works at uh, Schubert Sound Systems. He owns the whole you know, the rehearsal studio and the sound system. He's an amazing engineer and uh, just such a great guy, uh, good friend. And uh, he had actually, I believe, nicknamed me Astro at first because we were, funny thing is, we were in Nashville where you and I met, yeah. and just had finished up the Ryman Theater, and uh, that was the summer, I believe, of 99, and we're on our way down to Biloxi, and uh, we're about to get on tour bus. Now, that was my first tour ever <laughs> uh, at 23 years old, so I was pretty nervous and, you know, not sure, just trying to do the best job I could with lights, right. and I had already been doing lighting for a few years just in the L.A. club scenes before that. Yeah. So I had a lot of experience on the club level, but never on the touring level. So 
um, you know, I wasn't really thinking about tour buses. Uh, I was just thinking, they said, oh, we're going to be taking the bus to Biloxi. And <laughs> I, I said, oh, Greyhound. <laughs> and everybody just was howling, laughing. <laughs> so, you know, no, not Greyhound, actually, uh, you know, like a tour bus. Yeah, so, we have our own right, bus. Right. <laughs> right. It was so funny. So I'm, I can be, you know, at times, if you know me, I can be a little spacey. So, um, and then some. So, you know, of course, but then, you know, the nickname kind of Astro came around because of AstroTurf being green. Gotcha. So, like, you know, I I got green to tour and Astro turf, and they just dropped the turf and started calling me Astro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, everybody kind of liked that. It kinda so, stuck. so, it had nothing to do with being spacey. It's more the turf. <laughs> it was more the turf, exactly. Or just being green, you know. But now, uh, goodness, uh, almost 20 years later, uh, it's, you know, I'm not so green anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess not, right? <laughs> I could have called you Kevin. Yeah, no, Kevin. Right. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. Exactly. <laughs> well, they just shortened the Stro now. So That's right. Luke and everybody calls me Stro on tour. Do they really? It's better than calling you ass. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. That's, that's where I think Luke would take it. <laughs> Luke would go there. Luke would take it there. Oh, oh, no, there's been some jokes, and you know. <laughs> Oh, we can only imagine. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, 1999 show at the Ryman Auditorium, and I was at that show. Really? And, yeah, and I, I went to the after party as well, and uh, uh, that was that was a pretty phenomenal after party. I don't know if you were at that, but <laughs> that was you know, I I think I've been. I was just so in. I, I don't remember to be honest, <laughs> but I think at that point I was just thrilled to get through the show. <laughs> yeah. Right? So exactly. <laughs> was happy with my work. So. <laughs> God, were you nervous at that show? Do you recall? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, that, that actually, I spent about, when they had asked me, I did, uh, let's see, the first show at the Mark and Brian. Um, you know, I had already listened to Toto since I was a kid. I, was, mm -hmm. I started, you know, playing keyboards when I was six. Really? And uh, um, my keyboard teachers were always telling me, you got to listen to Toto, you got to check them out. And of course, I grew up with them musically. And then, uh, so I was already familiar with a lot of their songs. And, uh, uh, you know, it was an honor to do their lights at the, at that show. So I already, I already knew the timing and I studied a lot of their more current stuff, uh, at the time and, and just, you know, learned it inside and out so I could uh, do a great job with the lights and they really mm -hmm. liked the timing yeah. of a musician. So I'm not much of a technical person, but as far as the timing goes, you know, I can get as long as I know mm. what I'm going to do lighting wise. So they saw the, uh, the light show when they're on stage, it felt good to them. They asked me to go and do, uh, I think it was three days in Atlantic City. And I'll tell you, I remember I, I said, okay, this sounds great. Let me, you know, think about it or whatever I said at the time was polite. I was just really nervous mm -hmm. and I'd never done that. Right. And uh, so long story short, um, that was a really long plane flight to the East Coast from because I was really nervous the whole plane flight. And I, I made it through the first show. And uh, the next two were good there, and then they asked me to do the stuff with, you know, Nashville and, and Biloxi. Oh, that's amazing. But, uh, I was nervous, I think, that whole run before, but I wasn't nervous during the show. Once I got, got going on the lights, it's fine. It's just all up to the point of the show, that episode, you know, because it's a different light rig every show at every venue. So it's uh, kind yeah. of like, you know, you have to adapt. And, yeah. and now I'm just so used to doing it, and it still has its challenges, you know, even with all my experience. It, Definitely on this last tour had its challenges at times yeah. um, for me. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where you really have to concentrate on time management. Time management is like the number one key thing. As long as you have the music memorized and you know what right. you're going to do fighting-wise, it's really about getting 
the time management down to know like when the band hits, you're going to be ready. Yeah, in, in that case, you're as much a musician as as, as they are. You're, you're 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 part of the music, you know. I feel like the fifth Beatle out there. Yeah, really <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, sticking with the Toto tour, um, Eddie and I are here in Indianapolis, and uh, that's where we're based. And you guys came here back in August for two uh, shows. We were pretty fortunate to see that there were two shows on the schedule, back to back nights. And uh, you know, it just so happened to be our our tenth anniversary for Inside Music Cast, and we uh, invited a bunch of people in for our uh, listeners and and correspondents and whomever wanted to come out. We had quite a group with us, and uh, but you know, it, it stormed like crazy and rained out the first show, and uh, the next night the show went on, and and you you know you've probably seen it all. Can you explain the differences or challenges of 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 lighting you know for indoor venues as opposed to what we saw that being an open air venue? Is it fairly the same, or do you do anything differently? Uh, definitely there's some differences and some similarities. The big difference was, I noticed, especially with that storm in Indianapolis, uh, I didn't have to really dodge any lightning bolts on the indoor gigs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. It was really intense. That was uh, yeah. one of the biggest storms, I think, that had, uh, that had hit in yeah. a long time. Uh, it was really intense. We had yeah. to abandon the stage, yeah. go downstairs, there's lightning strikes really close. I mean, uh, Ken actually got stuck out in the tent out in the front of house area. He was holding down the fort out there. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I do little cartoon characters and rendering yeah. behind the scenes. And, of course, I had to render uh, Ken in the tent out there. Lightning <laughs> <laughs> you got to show that to us sometime. That's great. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't funny at the time, but now I know. Oh, God, that's amazing. I, I actually live uh, like less than a, a quarter mile from that venue. I live just, just the, the back side of that venue is my neighborhood. And, uh, yeah, it was really intense that day. I was kind of at home monitoring what was going on, and I thought, we're not going to have a show tonight. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hey, yeah. And, and I guess during that, during that storm, uh, we, we caught up with Luke the next morning for breakfast and the rest of the guys in the band. And, and, uh, and Luke was telling us about a, uh, a board game that you invented that night. <laughs> you guys oh, yeah. were playing some kind of board game. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Toto game. Yeah, Tell no, us about that. that. Yeah, we wanted, he didn't really explain it too well. We're dying to know what that was all about. <laughs> well, the Toto board game is, uh, uh, is become quite a big hit with the, you know, just us uh, on the road. We've, we've played it multiple times. It's one of those things that's like the best possible like, time passer, if you will. You know, it's like if you're going to wait on like a ferry boat ride somewhere for three hours, you can break out the board game. Of <laughs> It, and it just, everything that happens is, is, you know, there's different cards for certain things, but of course the, you know, the storm and show cancel have to be put in the deck of cards. So we kind of modify the game as the tour goes on, you know. So, you know, Ken gets stuck out in a tent uh, during a flooded rainstorm with lightning bolts, lose three turns, you know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. And we get per diem in the game and stuff. And, of course, the casino slot where, you, you know, you're, it's, Mandatory. You have to gamble. You know, blackjack a couple of rounds. You end up picking all your per diem. You get sent back to start. Oh, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> that's yeah. really funny. That's cool. There's, there's way more to it, but it's uh, just a little taste of it. But uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. But you know, the, the outdoor shows are, are are more challenging at times when it's really sunny out and you have to you know focus all the moving lights. Uh, inside, you can see the lights. Uh, you can get the, the stage dark when the you know the sound check yeah. the mm-hmm. four sound check. You can turn out the lights in the venue for the most part and leave some on for the rest of the crew to see. And I pump some smoke out, and I can adjust the beams and all that stuff. But as far as outdoor, you know, it's windy. You're dealing with the different uh, weathers. And just trying to uh, 
uh, I know what to look for for the most part, but there's times where, you know, the band gets out on stage and it's dark and I notice a light that's slightly off position where I thought it was going to mm-hmm, be on mm-hmm. position, you know, even with the experience that I have, it's just, you know, things happen or, or a light will, you know, miss, misfire in a certain way, but definitely outdoors, you're dealing with, it's really extremely hot, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, exactly. I don't mind it though. It, you know, I, as long as the show goes well, I prefer indoor shows just because you can control the environment sure. more. Yeah. Uh, but then there's times where the AC turns on in certain venues and sucks up all the haze, and then I can't see any beans. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it depends. Yeah. Hey, you were on the, the European tour. Did you work that or not? I did this last European tour, uh, but not the summer of 2015. But okay. I did the one this year in 2016. Because it's a European tour, I mean, is, is there any difference really as uh, as to what happens in, when you work lights in, in Europe as to here, other than the power type of differences? Anything else or pretty pretty similar? In Europe, it's a little different because we're doing arena shows a lot of the times, mm-hmm. and we bring our own uh, uh, light rig that we have plotted out to our own you know specifications before we hit the hit the road. So um, I have a, a wonderful team uh, from Go Audio over there and a, a lighting assistant, and they have everything set up. Uh, we carry our own rig with us. So, it, you know, we program it at the beginning of the tour, get everything dialed in the way we want, and then it's consistent, like really consistent night to night. The band's extra comfortable because they know what to expect. We're not dealing with a different lighting uh, system every night like we were in the U.S. tour, for yeah. example. We weren't bringing our own lighting. So... And I just love being in Europe. I really love the different towns and stuff. And, of course, I love touring the U.S. Uh, I'm just here in the U.S. all the time, so I think it's extra special when I get to go outside of the country and see other cultures and, you know, try the foods and especially the coffee overseas is great in Europe. But I'll tell you, the Europe crowds are great. You know, I love doing arenas and being an arena lighting designer. Uh, uh, There's something to that that's, I think, really rewarding uh, uh, you know, a lot of the times, too, you know, in a different way that than theaters uh, are rewarding. It's just, it's a great feeling, though, to do an arena show as a lighting designer. Yeah. Hey, Astro, I'd like you to expand a little bit on, on your lighting techniques and let's, let's call it your quasi-performances. Me, when me and uh, my, uh, a good friend of ours from Inside Music asked, uh, Richard Simile, who were watching you from um, in the balcony at the Ryman. You know, we, we saw your fingers on, of course, the lighting deck and that kind of stuff. And you were really just watching the performance and you were pretty much almost playing as almost as, as a keyboard. I mean, there was a certain level of dexterity that came along with with uh, what was happening in live. And, you know, as you explained uh, earlier, you know, you were playing the lights. Explain that a little bit more for, just for our listeners as to how you do lights, because they weren't automated. Sometimes you go to certain places and everything is synced, right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's cues. There can be uh, time code shows. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I appreciate uh, you noticing that. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of pride myself uh, on running the lights uh, to the music live. I, there's something about live, uh, uh, running the lights live that I really, uh, just does something for me. It's like, it's a performance, you know, you can't mess up, you make a mistake just like playing live, like the band, Toto plays live, you know, right. there's no tracks or anything like that, they, they, you know, what you see is what you get, and I think they do an amazing job, and also, the way Toto plays, they're not really a band that I feel they can have a time code show or lots of cues, because mm-hmm. they, there's times that they stop and turn on a dime, and you got to be ready to go with them at certain improv, uh, improv parts and uh, whatever they decide to do in a little jam section. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I run, I pretty much set up the board all on faders. I don't use any buttons. 
I don't do cues. Um, I actually did use cues for one show in the 2013 uh, tour in Europe. Hmm. I did all the lights for the DVD uh, on the live in Poland, so that's all my lights there. Wow, that's great. And uh, for that, that DVD, which I'm very proud of. And it, uh, I believe it went, went number one around the world, the, the, the DVD. It's a great live live show. Mm-hmm. And I did cues for Better World, and then the rest was all live. And in fact, half of Better World was cues uh, because there were so many fast hits I had to get to. Yeah. It wasn't physically possible for me to hit it with the faders because uh, going between drums and uh, keyboards and then uh, other stuff, it was so so fast I had to just you know hit some cues. But then halfway through, I overrode that and I went to live. But the ones that you saw at Nashville, yeah, that was all live on faders. And in fact, that night I was unfamiliar with that particular console. So there's another challenge, too, when you don't have your own rig as you're dealing not only with a different lighting yeah. board every night, or lighting rig, you're dealing with a different lighting board and trying mm-hmm. to get it set up to how you're comfortable. So right. it can definitely be stressful. But yeah, I, I run uh, with faders. That way I can be dynamic. I don't always go to 100%. In fact, a lot of the times I don't go to 100%. I'm yeah. like at 50, 55%, uh, sometimes 100% for the, the color washes. But a lot of the audience lights, depending on the fixtures, you know, I do a lot of lights out in the audience moving slowly for choruses and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I have to pull way back to 20% so I don't kill everybody. <laughs> oh, interesting. Because it can be blinding. You know? Yeah, it can be. It can be really sensitive. And then there's times where you it's okay to push a little brighter when the band pushes a little harder. It's yeah. a dynamic thing. It's a feel thing. And I also have to be ahead of the beat. So, you know, I have hmm. to memorize every nook and cranny of the set because I got to, there's a delay already from the light board to the lights yeah. themselves. And you have to think about it. Every night I'm not in the same position and the sound's coming at you at 700 or whatever miles an hour. Yeah. So you're getting a delay. And if the further back you are, the further the delay in sound, but there's also yeah. that delay in the time from the, console to the light, so right. it's quite a feel thing that you really have to get used to, and I'm asking Ken, and he's always working with me, telling me the milliseconds, and yeah. I think that helps me kind of mentally know the differences from night to night, if I have to push ahead just a little fast, a little more than normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you were mentioning that, you know, since you do all this manually, do you try your best to try to emulate the same kind of lighting effect each night, or do you think it varies from night to night what you do, uh, you know, in terms of lighting effects for for different songs? Does, you think it? Yeah, I'm sure you probably have a probably naturally over time you probably you know um, know exactly what you're doing, you know what what effect you're going to use at what certain time. But do you think it is? Do you think there's a variable from night to night? Oh, absolutely, there's a variable from night to night. Yeah. Definitely. Even when our when we have our own uh, rigs that we bring with, because I'm running it live, and there's times I want to improvise a little bit, and I love that freedom. Um, but you're right, though. I mean, after doing it for so long, I have yeah. a very set way in general for the show. I mean, if you see it night to night, it can be very consistent. Yeah. But there's a little bit of difference. Sometimes I'll go to a blue when I went to a red the night before, for example. You know, a few things, or some nights I'm just in a different space where I'm like, wanting to try something new and experiment too and I know the band encourages that which is very cool and we, we, we also I check in with the band nightly to make sure that they're comfortable on the stage or if there's something you know that's been too bright or something that's getting annoying that, that I can't tell from where I'm at you know so we're always working close together and the communication's wide open but there's they encourage hey try some new stuff or they suggest you know try this and but um, yeah, yeah I mean, there's definitely similarities and differences but not enough to make it like, whoa, this is a completely different show. Right, right. And, and for the strobes, you have, you have to be really careful for the, for the strobes. I use a lot of strobes in my show 
Um, uh, but it's, I think it's to the point where you don't notice it as much because it's with the time of the band when they're doing like child's anthems. And they're hitting, oh, right. Yep. And you hit the strobes with the music and time with them, it's only going to accentuate the music, I think. And for me, uh, the last thing I want to do is distract from the music. And sure. I'm not one of those, hey, check out my light show kind of guys. I'm more one mm-hmm. of those, hey, check out the band and the music and the overall experience. Yeah, yeah, you're you're there in support of the band. I mean, you're you're supporting what they're doing, and you're adding to the to the music as well. I mean, you're no, you're no. you're essentially another instrument, <laughs> the fifth Beatle. <laughs> right, at least that's my goal. <laughs> hey, um, what other bands have you worked with uh, in a touring setting? You know, outside of Toto, have you done lighting for other other bands? I have a long time ago in the early 2000s. I did all the lights for the. Uh, uh, the Down from the Mountain tour, which was all the music for the movie George with George Clooney, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, wow. Allison Krauss, Union Station, Ricky Skaggs, Kentucky Thunder, mm-hmm. Emmylou Harris. Very uh, cool. The Nashville Bluegrass Band, the list goes on and on. Yeah. With incredible amount of, of musicians and the level of talent on that tour was absolutely amazing. And night after night, it was like listening to a record. They were so good every yeah. night on stage. So I did the winter and summer, I think it was 2002, I did all that. And, uh, gosh, you know, we did a, they had a, a DVD at the Ryman, too. It's interesting how the Ryman has played such a key role in, like, you know, uh, in my life, you know, yeah. and then the fact that we had met there. Um, I think it's really cool. I, I love that theater. It's got a great, mm-hmm. I mean, I went to the, there used to be a guitar store next to the Ryman that had Martin guitars and Dan Tominski, and I went went in there, and, he, you know, he had his signature guitars in there. Just those kind of experiences on oh, the road. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. In fact, him and I play foosball. He's the guy who did the voice for Man of Constant Sorrow, you know. The right, voice. right. And uh, I challenged him one time to a uh, foosball <laughs> uh, match at a barbecue we're all having. And I was, you know, getting a little cocky. I'm like, all right, Dan, come on, let's get some foosball action going on in here, you know. And uh, I remember people around were, were kind of chuckling. I had no idea he was like some kind of former champion kind of uh, <laughs> foosball captain. It was crazy. Like, he got over there and this whole crowd surrounded. I'm like, what's the deal here, you know? He I, like flipped the ball in there. He like whack right into the, my goal, and everybody's dying laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what exactly he he did, but he was really amazing at wow. football. So, wow. like, oh my like, god! Game, you know. Yeah. The lesson here is stick to board games. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have, I do have one question on your website. You've got uh, a link for um, uh, it, it's from a company out of Toronto, and it's called Tone Concepts, and it features there's a photo there of of you standing with. Um, taking a shot with, with Steve and uh, regarding his custom signature guitar pedal. Now, tell us the, 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 your relationship with this whole thing, because I think it revolves around the, your caricature and your artwork, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, that's right. Um, that is an awesome opportunity for me to get my cartoon on Luke's pedal. I couldn't believe they asked me, and I was totally honored <laughs> for that. It's yeah, cool. been fantastic to work with. They've been so nice. And uh, I actually did that cartoon on a airplane flight on my iPad uh, with a little stylus. <laughs> yeah. I was flying from Florida to uh, California at one point, and uh, Luke had uh, called me up and said, hey, you got to do this with me. And I said, really? Oh, awesome. I'd love to do it. So, um, yeah, my cartoon is on there, and uh, Luke uses the <laughs> pedal. It's a, it's like a really, really cool, clean boost pedal, and it has some little character on it, and uh, yeah. my character on it as well. And uh yeah, I'm just honored about yeah, that. Yeah, that's we cool. We took that photo in Japan together uh, in 2014, <laughs> I believe it was. And, yeah, I looked pretty jet-lagged in that photo. <laughs> Interesting. Hey, I want to shift a little bit and get to your music and talk about you a little bit. You know, wh- where were you raised? Are you, were you a California guy or where are you from? 
Well, I've been in California for over half my life, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm originally from outside of Chicago, so I'm, as you can imagine, I'm totally thrilled about those Cubs winning the World Series. Oh, man, what a, what a, what a miracle, right? Oh, tell me, but I still am just in disbelief. I had to watch like the replays because I watched the entire series. I didn't miss a pitch. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Rick has his... Uh, I have my his... Cubs uh, sweatshirt on right now. He does. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Big oh, Cub... fantastic. I'm a big Cubs fan. have been since I was a kid. Of course, we're down here wow. in Indianapolis, and we're basically... Uh, you're either a, a huge Cubs fan here or you like the Cincinnati Reds because we don't have a Major League Baseball team here. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, no... Uh, yeah, I remember going to the games as a kid. My grandmother was like the biggest Cub fan ever. Up by our pool in the summer, she was just every day the radio was on with the Cubs and hearing Harry Carey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, she was just the nicest lady ever. And uh, the fact that uh, the Cubs won on November 2nd, and that's the day that, uh, what, uh, gosh, back in 2009, that's the, the date that she actually passed away. Really? Yeah, so I had her picture with me, and I said, "Come on, Cubs!" You know, it's just—it was a yeah. really emotional evening. It was amazing. It was wow, great win. Anyway, all right. Um, I, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned earlier that uh, to me that you—you'd um, never really—you're a guitarist, and that's your your main instrument. But you started playing the keyboard first, right? What age were you when uh, you started playing piano or keyboards? I was probably around six, uh-huh. probably around five when I started playing. Just uh, you know, I had a small little toy keyboard or whatever, but uh, my family recognized that I was very musical from like the age of you know, three or earlier. You know, I'd always get into music and move around and stuff and probably dance to the music or something. And then, uh, yeah, about six and a half, I believe I played uh, a, a little recital uh, with a, a group of other people. I played a little performance. You know, you, you go up and play a song in front of a, an audience, and it went really well. I mean, it was really cool to be playing, you know, at that age. And, you know, I was actually on the organ so I was doing like the feet and the hands and everything, and then I started <laughs> taking up drums when I was about oh nine, ten or so, and then I got into guitar. I was about twelve or thirteen. Really? So that was the official transfer into the the guitar track, huh? Yeah, it really was. I, I just I had something about guitars, you know, that I just was really attracted to at that time, and uh, I still love keyboards and I love drums. I think part of me is like kind of bummed I didn't keep the drums going because I just love rhythms and beats. And, yeah. You know, and especially drummers like Jeff Beccaro, it's just, you know, their their grooves are just so insane. I'm yeah. so attracted to that solid, rock-solid groove and shuffle and just, it's, you know, what can I say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, your music today is... Um it, uh, I like how you worded on your website. You said it's uh, it's uh, that you have a strong affinity towards new, nouveau flamenco classical type of music. But then you mentioned that it's really it sounds like flamenco, but it's not. So how would you describe your music now? We've, me and Rick have had a chance to immerse immerse ourselves in your new album and your some of your past work uh, that you have posted. And uh, so tell us a little bit about your 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 music that you're producing these days. When did you get attracted to your sound? Oh, I appreciate that answer, uh, that question. Um, you know, when I was probably about 16, I uh, heard some Paco de Lucia, and I was really attracted to the acoustic, you know, Al Demiola. And, yeah. Uh, a friend brought some Otmar Liebert records back from the record store, uh, and that was a little different approach. It was a little more, um, in, it, I don't know, I don't want to say new age, it's just not the right word for it. Yeah. It's funny you mention because sometimes I don't even know how to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. call my style with a name. It's kind of a blend. I definitely do not play traditional flamenco, and I know there's a very traditionalist you know, crowd that I respect their, their views on traditional, and I'm not from Spain. But uh, I borrowed some, some stuff, and I studied here in Glendale um, 
uh, I'm actually in L.A. today, so that's what I'm saying here. Yeah. But uh, here in Glendale, uh, Paco Arroyo, who's a, a great uh, flamenco uh, guitarist. He's from Spain, and I studied with him in my early 20s, so I learned a lot of real traditional rhythms. So I did a lot of homework, so I'm actually playing a lot of real things. I'm not yeah. just faking stuff. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's like anything. It's easy to, to, to take shortcuts, but if you really want to sound authentic or, or, or do something the right way, you have to put you have to do your homework. And so, uh, you know, but years later, you know, I was able to tour with Otmar Liebert, which was a true honor, and to be four years in his band, touring all around the world, and Australia, and, you know, South America, and the United States here. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I produced some records. Uh, three of them have been uh, released on his record label, and uh, I've just uh, recently released my own called EEA, which is a concept album. It's just something kind of, it was, I felt it was a little more me. It's kind of a musical story. Mm-hmm. And um, I've also, you know, worked with other projects. I'm just right now doing some sessions with uh, Shaheen Shahida. So he's from uh, Sh- uh, Shaheen and Sabir off of uh, Higher Octave Records when Higher Octave was, you know, the 90s. And so I've been doing some rhythm sessions for him. And I've also done some rhythm sessions uh, and some... Um, some kind of music production, you know, work for Lawson Rollins, who's a monster player as well, and he's great. It's all the finger style, you know, shredding and stuff. And uh, I'm also part of a uh, 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 music production that he's uh, producing uh, called Golden. So it's an independent hmm. film. So I'm working on that as well. So I have a lot of things going on along with lighting. I'm just trying to see where life kind of takes me, really. Sure. You, know? right. well, you, you mentioned Otmar Liebert and. Um you know, not only you, you mentioned you toured with him from 2006, I think, to 2009, somewhere in there. But you were also featured on his Grammy-nominated album, The Scent of Light, as well, right? That's correct, yeah. That's I very played cool. uh, electric guitar, and I actually played uh, my Luke guitar, my music man. I have a, a guitar, uh, same model as Luke. He actually gave me one. So. Well, speaking of Luke, since you've spent, you know, so much time with him over the years and time with the band, have you? what have you taken away from him as in terms of a player? Obviously, your style is... A little different, you know. Luke can play. Obviously, he can play probably anything. But what what have you taken away from, you know, you just just by osmosis, you know, just being around? Yeah, I was Luke. just going to say osmosis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Luke is is incredible. You know, he really is. And I don't want to tell him how incredible I think he is because I don't want to think I'm brown nosing. <laughs> 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 but really, even he, even before I, I got to meet him, I was in love with his guitar playing. You know, I had done lights for him in L.A. a couple times before we even even knew who I was, or I, you know, <laughs> yeah. worked with him before pre-Toto stuff. And I remember him walking in and just turning on his amps. He was playing Revere amps at the time, I believe. Uh-huh. And just dialing in his tone and playing, he has such soul and such, uh, such a feel on the instrument. His vibrato is incredible. And mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that because I work with him. You know, like, as he would say, you, dude, you've already got the gig, you know? <laughs> 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 but really, though, truly in my heart, it, really, he is something about his playing uh, that touches me deeper than, I would say, most players. And I love a, a lot of players, but there's something special that Luke has. He's, yeah. He's, he's incredible, and uh, not only is he an incredible guitar player, he's an incredible human being, and yeah. uh, he's just got the best sense of humor on the planet. So. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he got a lot of things from him even before pre-Toto. I mean, I remember listening as a teenager and watching their Toto videos, and yeah. gosh, at the end, the solo at the end of uh, Rosanna, I believe it is, he does these bends on the guitar. I mean, yeah. I watch that over and over, going, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, how is he doing that? You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, he's just... Uh, 
he's one of those players that's just uh, he's like an immortal player. You know, I don't know what to say. It's just he picks it up and it's just it's, yeah. it's just kick ass. No yeah, doubt, absolutely. No doubt. Hey, congratulations to you because you mentioned on your your most recent uh, album, um, and I believe you pronounced it Aeya, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, you were fortunate to have won a silver medal in the Global Music Award for Outstanding Achievement in Instrumentation. Um, man, that that's really a neat honor because that's a global award. Um, what does this do for a musician like you? I mean, you're you let's just say you're a uh, you're getting your 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 uh, music out there. I mean, what uh, has this done for you? Does it get you in front of more audiences? I think it's 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 really opened the doors for some more exposure. I think mm-hmm. that's really difficult to come by as an independent artist sometimes. Yeah. Exposure. You have Facebook, you have other things. But I, for me, I, I really want to do something musically that's not mainstream, and I really feel passionate about putting music out that's not mainstream. I don't know. I, I just want there to be, you know, there's nothing wrong with mainstream music. That's It's wonderful, pop music and all the other stuff, and, you know, perhaps someday I'll, I'll you know, dabble in that or maybe I'll be asked to, to do something with that which would be wonderful but I also feel there should be equalness for all styles of music for radio and all the other stuff so it's just kind of my take on my personal taste of what I'd like to what's inside me yeah. that I want to share with the world mm-hmm. sure. but uh, yeah it was an honor to get that uh, that award and uh, you know they've been very nice and nice to me and they said anytime I have something going on to let them know and they'll you know put it on their blog and, and help promote as well and they have some great tips so, that's great that's cool it's you know not easy to get one of those awards from what I understand, so I, I really it meant a lot to me. Very yeah. cool. You know, many of the tracks on your latest album, Aia, are you know they're pretty epic scores. Uh, but to give everyone a taste of of what they'll hear on the album, I want to stop and take a listen to the second track on the album, and it's titled Chapter Two. And this is from our guest today, Stephen Duros, on Inside Music Cast.
Well, you know, there, there are subtle differences uh, between the, your three albums. And just talk to us a little bit about the progression of, of each one of those albums and how they're different to you and, and, uh, and, and I guess maybe what your approach was between those three albums. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the first one, gosh, I was in my early 20s. And uh, actually really, I'm really critical on my music. I'm really sensitive about that. I'll go back and like, oh, I can't listen to this album at all. You know, it's <laughs> right. funny how that works about your own art. <laughs> you are your worst critic. <laughs> yeah, I really am. Yeah. And I go back and listen to the first one and I feel, hey, it's pretty solid, you know, for a first record. It was just done on a small 16 track. And, you know, Otmar even had told me, he said, man, I can't believe it was on a 16 track because it sounds really, you know, really well produced. And that meant a lot hearing yeah. that from him, who is one of my all-time, you know, uh, artists that I looked sure. up to. I just was, I just loved his Opium record. It's it's just an amazing record, so yeah. trippy and cool. And for him to say that to me, looking up to him as a songwriter, really meant a lot. And yeah. then when we did Zira, it, I just wanted to kind of try something a little different, which is my second record. Um, and uh, he actually played a solo on that record because uh, I asked him, he liked one of the tunes uh, that I shared with him that I asked him to play on. And uh, it's it's more, I would say, a new age kind of vibe. It's a little more trippy, vibey, and uh, I ended up using a lot more octaves for melodies and mm-hmm. bending. And I got really more into bending on a lot in the recent years. And my nylon string, which is not really, not a lot of people do, so I feel that's what kind of sets me apart uh, guitar-wise. If you hear some interesting odd bends and a lot of octaves, you'll know it's me uh, playing. Yeah. The third record, uh, Urban Flamenco, I started kind of wanting to touch upon, uh, you know, my influences of the early 80s when I was growing up, I listened to a lot of different stuff from uh, Motown to, you know, uh, horn players, you know, even like uh, Chuck Mangione or Herb Albert. Just, you know, what was on the, what we had as records around the house as a kid that I just loved the beats to and the vibe. And yeah. I wanted to touch upon that little disco kind of vibe. And yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting. The Urban Flamenco album, it's, uh, you also mentioned there that it's not flamenco. It is that experimental, you know, uh, lead of the of the guitar. But it does have a neat vibe to it. It it, it really has a neat groove. I, I really I really like that. It had uh, a, a totally different feel than um, than especially your your new album. But yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, the new one is a very interesting record. I think it's going to be one of those realistically looking at one of those records you're going to have to be in the mood for. You know. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. Even myself, when I want to throw it out just to, you know, listen to see what I did, I'm like, okay, I need to be in the right mode, especially if I'm driving, it's a good spot. If you're out in the middle of the desert, you're driving along, it could really work well, you know. Uh, it's kind of, or, or at night with a bottle of wine. You, uh, it's, sure. It takes you on an adventure. It's almost like a movie without the movie. It's yeah, yeah. Soundtrack. Yeah. And uh, I think that was my way of just, it's just very experimental, and I had so much fun with this last record. I had more fun than any of the previous three just because there was no boundaries. It was just total creative freedom, and I could just go wherever I wanted with it. And I highly recommend it to anybody who's, you know, writing or creating just sure. to write with, without boundaries. And the same thing plays into lighting as well. You know, I don't set boundaries on the lighting, and I, you know, there's a lot of creativity that goes into that. Sure. I try things. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, back to Urban Flamenco. I mean, I mean tracks like uh, that I really stood out to me that I really enjoyed were um, Sky of um, Sky of Pearls, yeah. Bittersweet. I mean, those are really beautiful compositions, and oh, thank you. Uh, I really enjoy those. I played those over a couple times. And I'm like, this is very nice. You know, I was playing it at the office actually for for some of my staff, and no uh, yeah, it was. And they, they, you know, they were asking me, well, what uh, what what you get and 
what, what's that? And they're always sort of curious. You know, I've got a few millennials, you know, <laughs> working yeah. for us as designers. You know, I have an ad agency, and and uh, so I've got some designers there, and, and they're like, wow, what is that? And they're, you know, it's not, they don't listen to the stuff that you'd think you'd be listening to, but this really caught their eye. So I said, here's the album that uh, that Astro sent me, and and they started, hey, that's really cool. So you might have a new, uh, a, new uh, a few other followers here at my office, you know. <laughs> Oh, that means a lot to me. You know, I'm really proud of the Bittersweet song. That's I've always wanted to write a song uh, uh, like that, and that really was one of the ones that turned out where yeah. I felt really proud of. Uh, I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, your, your music is mostly instrumental, and I wondered if you'd ever put lyrics to your compositions. You know, and on 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 a track such as Sky of Pearls, you know, I can see that you you know you leave a lot of space, and it's not overplayed, and there's actually room for some singing. Is is that something you'd ever consider, or? Or maybe you did and pulled them. I, tell me about your philosophy on that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and actually, I'm working with someone who sings right now, and we're writing different style of music. It's similar to what I'm doing. Uh, for me personally, I haven't really tried any singing because I just like the fact that instrumental music—you uh, don't really have to have lyrics to tell a person what the song is about. Sure. You kind of feel it and kind yep. of almost make the song about whatever they wanted to, how it relates to them in their day and their specific mood. But I also love music with lyrics, and I have this. I've met this amazingly talented uh, uh, person from uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. His name is uh, Jeff Pierre, who is up in the uh, Oakland Bay Area. Hmm. Play together all the time, and we're starting a band called Path of Light. And okay. uh, which is funny because I do lights, but uh, <laughs> yeah. he's you know it's similar. It's kind of the rumba-based kind of music, uh, but he plays Haitian percussion. And one day he just started singing, and it's just unreal. I'm like, wow, this guy sounds amazing. He's kind of almost has a little bit of a, a seal quality in his vocals, if you will, but uh, his own thing too, you know. And he sings in French Creole, so it, it's just incredible. And it almost kind of has a '60s vibe to it. Yeah. Not that I was around in the '60s, but you know. <laughs> no, I think I, <laughs> I think I saw one of your videos with uh, him performing with you uh, also, and I just you guys are just la- jamming and letting it go a little bit, and I think it's really fun stuff. You guys are having a good well, time. Thanks. Yeah, we're just jamming. We do a lot of improvising, but now we're starting to you know write some songs and, and you know kind of get serious about it because I really feel strongly that with his vocals and how good he sounds at the singing now. In some of our compositions together, uh, you know, we're talking about getting an EP, at least, you know, four or five songs. Yeah. And getting it on out there, you know, whether it's Pandora, Spotify, and and I really feel like there could be a following for this. I and, think so, too. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people could relate, and it's, it's definitely a 60s bossa nova kind of vibe to some of it, which I think is really cool, and it's unique for its time now. So yeah. we're just going to try it and see what happens. So hey, as far as an- lyrics go, that's kind of where, where I'm putting my concentrations at. For sure. There. Whenever you've played live, have you ever have have you ever had uh, the opportunity to to play with a band backing you up at all, or is that something that you might do in the future? Just to you know, as you perform, I would love to. Yeah. I would absolutely love to, and that's something. I mean, I would love to do touring someday, and it's my goal, my dream is would be to tour. You know, or especially in Europe, through Europe, these little towns, yeah. there, some of this music. But I think it's just difficult without a following. You know, to, to play out and to hire on musicians. Right now, uh, I have just a few people, I think, that follow me. I'm not sure how many. Maybe there's more than I think. But uh, it's definitely something I would love to do and plan on doing. It's just the logistics of putting it together uh, and getting something going. And I play with Jeff all the time, so him and I do just regular casuals and gigs. That's been fun, too. 
other than the stuff with Otmar when I was actually on tour in an ensemble situation. Yeah. Hey, Stephen, um, let's go back to 2011, and I want to check out a track from your album, Urban Flamenco. And this is the track called Bittersweet City Rain from our guest Stephen Duros, otherwise known as Astro, on Inside Music Cast.
know, your, your music, especially, you know, the tracks on Aiea and, you know, they're, they're so lush. They're kind of epic in sound. They're, they're very rich and complex. And you may have heard this from others, and I think you kind of just touched on this earlier uh, when you said they sort of told a story by themselves. But, you know, you could – these could be a music score. Um, and have you ever written for entertainment? You know, you know, of, you know like, like Steve Percaro, of course, he does this kind of stuff, you know, the very lush and rich scores and instrumentals for, for television and film. Have you ever been asked to do that, or has that been something you've ever thought about approaching? I absolutely would love to, and I'm actually currently working on uh, music production for a movie called Golden. It's an independent film. Oh, you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Go to com. You can uh, check it out. I don't, there's no music that I've done there yet, but Lawson Rollins is playing uh, electric guitar in there, and he's come up with a brilliant uh, uh, melody line that we're working with and doing music production with. So that's my cool. pretty much official first start into film, and we're just getting started with it, and it's been so much fun to do. So yes, definitely, and I think kind of in a way with the EA, EA uh, project, uh, that was kind of wanting to see what I was capable of with the, you know, writing more cinematic-wise, uh, you know, kind of a feel and maybe even using that to, to show, you know, producers or who's ever interested, you know, for a film that this is what I'm capable of or, or more, you know. Yeah. And I, I just love Steve Piccaro. He's been great to tour with and his album is phenomenal. It I is. A loop at home, pretty much. Uh, just, I love his music. Very nice, very nice. Well, hey, well, Stephen Duras, also known as Astro, or is it Astro, also known as Stephen Duras? Which one is it? <laughs> Depends on where I'm at at the time. I'm I guess so, right? <laughs> you know, you say Stephen, everybody turns the other way, and it's like, who's that? Who's that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Astro, thanks for being with us, man. We've enjoyed it. You know, uh, uh, you've, we've been talking to Stephen Duras, who's a lighting technician and aficionado expert for, for the Toto Tours over these past few years, and uh, he has... Uh, this is going to be his fourth album. The Aia is is uh, has already released. You can find Urban Flamenco, Miranda, and Tira. And uh, you know, Stephen, tell us uh, or Astro, tell us uh, where can they get this uh, music if our listeners uh, look you up. Oh, you can stream it all on Spotify, or you can uh, get it at iTunes, uh, Amazon. You know, the usual download. Yeah. You know, download. is it is it only available for download, or do you have a physical CD? I have some physical CDs uh, of the last album, EEA, which is on okay. Amazon. You can order a CD there. And uh, through Otmar Liebert's website, I believe you can still order uh, Fira CDs, uh, possibly, or on Amazon. Uh, uh, Miranda is a download only, and Urban Flamenco is download only. Okay, cool. Great. Very cool. Well, this has been great talking to you. Uh, I know I've met you a few times in the past, but it's nice to actually have a conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no. Great to talk with you guys. Yeah. I'd love to do it again you know, whenever you guys have time. Well, yeah. thanks for taking time. I know that you're at a hotel right now for an, for another gig there in L.A., but uh, thank you for taking the time, and I'm glad we were able to cross paths with you, and uh, let's keep in touch, okay? You bet. Thank you so much, guys. You have a great evening and a great holiday. All right, you too. You too. Take, Take care. care. Okay, bye-bye. Special thanks to Stephen Duros for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, Yinka Oyelese, and Arnaud Legere for their support and content development. For the best in West Coast AOR, pop, jazz, and funk, tune in to Inside Music Cast Radio. Download the streaming app for Android and iOS devices, or listen at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside Music Cast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast and Inside Music Cast Radio.